0: Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, this is Tommy Yanoulas, one of the founders of Ops Analytica. I wanna thank you for checking out the Order Up podcast. If you're looking to run better, safer, and more profitable restaurants, I highly encourage you to start managing by checklist and using the Ops Analytica inspector to help you hold your managers more accountable and to get that increased visibility into your daily operations. Check us out online at OpsAnalytica.com or just search Restaurant Checklist app. Hey, this is the Order Up show. Uh, this is Tommy Yanulis, your host for this week. We've been off for a couple of weeks, but uh, we are happy to be back. And I am happy to uh, introduce my guest today, uh, Mr. Scott Ware with WareSys. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm good, thanks. Oh, good. Well, thank you for joining us on the Order Up show. So Scott actually is a little bit of a different guest for us in that most of the time we only bring on uh, uh, restaurant operators who are like managing restaurants at different levels. But uh, Scott actually is not a restaurant operator. He owns a company called Wearsis and Wearsis is a food safety solutions company. So it's a little bit of a different interview today because we're going to be... um, we're going to be talking some of our, our standard five question format, but we've also modified a couple of the questions to play into sort of Scott's expertise. So uh, Waresys, just so you guys know, they do temp monitoring and reporting. Uh, they focus primarily on food distribution, but they're moving into retail and restaurant space. But the other really cool thing that Scott does is he uh, trains on FISMA. And so he'll get more into what FISMA is and also on PCQI as well. So those are government regulations that are sort of pointed more at food manufacturing, but if you have manufacturing in your restaurant, they might apply to you and we'll dig a little deeper into that as well. So Scott, generally our format is, we always ask the five, same five questions, but I actually modified the questions for you and um, we'll get started with question number one. Uh, which is explain what you do today and then take us through sort of your career progression from your first job in the industry to where you are today.
1: Sounds good, and and thanks for having me on. Uh, We're again, is a food safety solution company. Um, We started it as an offshoot of our consulting and warehouse design company to provide more product-oriented or solutions to the food service industry, with our main product being temperature monitoring, alerting, and reporting, which is going to be a very key thing under some of the new regulations for manufacturers all the way down to a small uh, distributor. Uh, So we offer the temperature monitoring. We're a a distributor of of multiple vendors. uh, And what we do, or the reason we do that is because this industry is relatively new and it's very niche-based. So there are some companies that specialize in what I call a fixed asset, which is a building of some sort. There's some that just uh, specialize in fleet. And there's others that specialize more on a mobile type thing, which is relatively new, but it's for rail cars, cargo containers, uh, various things like that. And what we wanted to do is offer our clients kind of a one-stop shop so that, that they could find everything they need with us as opposed to going to multiple companies. Some of the things you're starting to see already in the industry with the regulations coming into play is a lot of mergers. And the reason they're doing that is specifically for um, offering a lot more items or solutions within their company uh, to try to take away that niche-based type industry that we're at now. And you're even seeing the same thing uh, for restaurants, where companies that specialize in either HACCP reporting, um, more digital recording type stuff for the operation are now uh, merging with temperature companies and vice versa, because they want all that data to be digital. And of course, the more more data you have, the more digital it is, the less manual, the less chance for error, and thus the less cha- uh, less chance to have something go wrong. So, where's this again? It started to do that those type of things, and then with uh, FISMA, as you said, uh, which stands for Food Safety Modernization Act, was a law that was signed in 2011. Uh, and for large companies, uh, the first five of seven rules took effect this past September. For the smaller companies, they have till next September. Uh, and as you said, this does apply to manufacturers, processors, uh, transport companies, uh, distributors. It does not specifically go down to the retail side as that um, act or those regulations fall under what's called the Food Retail Act. Um, Key note on that is that they're both um, governed and and enforced by the Food and Drug Administration or the FDA. So um, with that, those rules of the seven, there's some certifications, there's some certain types of training that have to be done, and we have gotten two associates with that certification as what's called lead instructors. Uh, The main rule, uh, which is preventative control for human foods, covers a wide variety of, of things. Again, all the way down to just before it hits the retail sector. But it's important for the restaurants and retail sector because they're going to want to know where their products are coming from and whether their suppliers are actually complying with these new regulations they have to fall under. So one of those things that they have to do is called the preventative control qualified individual, which has to have certain FDA training and certification. Uh, And again, we have two associates that are able to do that. On the restaurant side, we also work with a 23-year veteran of the Colorado Department of Health who's uh, retired from the state but has his own consulting company, and his specialization is on more of the retail side. So he goes into restaurants and helps them with their food plan, their HACCP plan, their safety plan overall.
0: That's cool. I think
1: I answered everything that you asked on that first question.
0: Yeah. Well, and real quick because I think you and I are obviously familiar with what temp monitoring looks like, could you explain kind of what a system would look like in a restaurant and, and kind of and tell them what the, what it does and the benefits of it because I don't it's not as you know, technology that every restaurant guy grew up with like a POS system, so it's new to a lot of guys.
1: Exactly. And the system's very basic. Most systems consist of what's called a gateway which is a device that either uh, gathers the data via an RF signal or a wireless signal. It then transfers the data through the cloud via either the company's Wi-Fi or what's called a GSM uh, signal, which is also known as a cell signal or cell tower signal. Uh, Then there's individual wireless sensors that go into each freezer cooler. Uh, You can have sensors that um, have probes so you can keep track of, reach-in type coolers and freezers. You can monitor fryers, other sensitive equipment. And it all falls under what's called the Internet of Things. I think it's called the Internet of Things, where it's just more open application, open source type programming. So it works with various pieces of hardware. It doesn't necessarily have to be a proprietary set. Um, But in a restaurant, They would put a sensor in each one of their coolers, whether it's a walk-in, a reach-in, a a display. It would transmit the signal back to the gateway, which would then upload it into the cloud, uh, at which point it would hit our servers, and we would present it on a company-specific dashboard where they would log in just on a a typical browser to see their data, pull their reports. uh, They could see graphs. They get alerts, so there's thresholds we can set. So if a temperature goes too high or too low, they would get an alert, whether it be a text message or an email. Uh, there's vast reports that they can put together there, especially if they work with a, a company that has HACCP, digital HACCP reporting or operational reporting, task reporting. It would all be there in a nice format, so they would just be able to print things off for inspectors. Um, these They also have wireless product sensors, which is a usually a Bluetooth type device that a restaurant would utilize um, with an, an app on either a tablet or, or a smartphone. And on their app, we would program in the, the foods that they would have, whether it be line items, um, a buffet, or just a bunch of items that are, made, are pre-made at the beginning of the shift. We have to make sure they stay in proper temperature through the night as that are used in preparation of meals and these wireless probes you just go in into your application you pick what you want and you stick the probe into the product and it gives us the core temperature of that product Um, in the restaurants most health departments have always required but not necessarily enforced of four times a day that you temp your products and most people most restaurants right now do it in a manual format. They have a clipboard with a piece of paper that's on there and it has a list of items and they go through and they time it and they temp it. As we all know, people get busy and if it gets missed, it's not unusual for someone just to go and start writing temperatures in there. Uh, And the reason that um, both acts are starting to move into more of a digital type format is because they know this goes on And as strict as some of these regulations have been, and with all the recalls of food items lately, especially some of the ones that have caused sickness and death, they want digital recording. They don't want—they want to take out the manual writing down. They want to take out the the human error potential. Uh, It'll never go away because you know someone could forget to even use a, a wireless probe. But the nice thing about a system like ours is that it'll alert you that you've missed your time, so that. Again, it's just like an alarm clock where it will tell you you do need to do this and it is important to do this. And if you don't miss it, there's no going back and filling it in. So your manager, your store owner, um, corporate will see that this stuff is not being done. So again, very small type equipment. Uh, a gateway is probably the size of of maybe uh, three decks of cards on top of each other. Sensors are about the size of a half a deck of cards. So doesn't take up a lot of room. Again, all wireless. Uh, no software to buy, just access to uh, some sort of tablet, smartphone, and an internet browser to to get the data that you're going to need with, uh, with the nice reports for your inspector.
0: And I think the biggest thing for restaurants is the alerting, which is, and as an example, uh, you know, if your cooler gets too hot in the middle of the night, then they will, like let's say the power goes up. This happened to a friend of mine who owns a bar in uh, Denver. And the power went off on the block. And when the prep cooks got in there, the cooler was starting to get hot. And luckily the food hadn't started to rise in temperature yet. And they started to ice everything down. But you know, you lose a walk-in full of food, that can be tens of thousands of dollars of inventory gone. And sure, you might have insurance on that, but you know, you're not going to get that money today. And you've now got to go and replace you know, a cooler's worth of food instantly. And if you're running a tight ship, that could be really tough on you. So I do think that the text messaging seems like something that would be an amazing benefit for the restaurants.
1: Yeah, correct. And also I should mention that besides the temperature that we do door, door status alerts too. So if someone forgets to uh, close a door fully, uh, we all know, especially in the summertime and as hot as kitchens get, we can start compromising the ambient temperature of a cooler or a freezer very quick with a door that's even left open a half inch. So you can imagine leaving it open for seven, eight hours at a time, and you could compromise all the product within, you know, five feet of the door. So that's another great benefit of these systems um, is that it, it allows you not only the temperature, but we can tell whether there's door openings and as well as for for um, crime, for theft, for things like that if all of a sudden a cooler door opens up at two in the morning and the restaurant's not open, um, someone's going to get an alarm and we know there might be a problem.
0: That's amazing.
1: Restaurants, one of the biggest things they have to deal with is is theft of food, especially those restaurants that serve items in a more of an upscale type um, clientele atmosphere where we're not talking about a dollar a pound hamburger. We're starting to talk about, $25 25 or $30 per pound steaks or seafood or various concoctions of cheese, uh, caviar, various things like that. So stuff like that disappears and it eats into the bottom line very quickly.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, so that, okay, cool. Thank you very much for that uh, explanation about where sis and also what that temp monitoring is. And just out of curiosity, because I'm sure a lot of our uh, users or excuse me, users, listeners, um, are are going to be asking themselves like us and i know there's no such thing as a standard restaurant so let's just pick a quick service restaurant with uh one walk-in one freezer and let's say three or four reach reach-in. so let's uh let's see one two let's say a nine censored restaurant like nine refrigeration censored restaurant what is that what are they kind of ballpark looking at and i know you don't want to like give an exact number but give us a range $500 $500 range of what it could be to get one of those systems implemented. And I know there's, you know, different pricing and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. If you're just talking about a nine sensor type outfit in a standard sized restaurant um, and you just are looking for, let's say, temperature. Yeah. Um, there's two different there's two different options that you can find. And one of them is you buy the equipment and then you have a smaller monthly fee. Um, that covers the access to the data, the dashboard, et cetera, for however many users you want us to put into the system. Then the other aspect is more of a managed service where there's very little money up front and you pay um, more of a managed service fee, which is a little bit higher on the monthly side. So my guess is on a managed service type thing with nine sensors that Again, you're going to have very little, if any, money up front, but you're probably going to be in the $120 per month range. Sure. If you're buying the products, then with nine sensors, you're going to be in the ballpark of probably sixteen to sixteen hundred dollars to two thousand dollars for the equipment, but then you're paying twenty to twenty-five dollars a month.
0: Sure.
1: And of course, those are there's other volume discounts that are. Can be incorporated in here, depending on whether you have uh, more versus one store versus someone that might have a, a hundred or a thousand stores.
0: And I guess the other thing too is, it's if you buy the equipment, it's your equipment. If it breaks, if it's out of warranty, you might have to replace it. And with a managed service, the the opposite is, is that when you have problems, you just pick up the phone, talk to support, and they get it fixed for you. Whereas, so you know, there's different things to judge. But that's that's a great range, good to know. So basically, sixteen hundred, yeah, and, and we, yeah.
1: $1,600 to 2000 but Also to note is that the nice thing about what we do with, with our relationship with our vendors is we have the ability to go in and do hybrids also. So we can put together a lot of different packages that kind of bring into what the client is going to need. And that's a differentiator uh, on some companies because they're very sect- or very strict in their, their structure, their price structure.
0: Yeah. Well, and then also too, just cause we talked about theft earlier is one of the big things that restaurant owners are concerned about is besides door monitors, is there anything else that IOT does around theft that you guys manage or doing any of that kind of stuff with?
1: Well, there's various things that we we could look at, but uh, again, having door, it doesn't necessarily just have to be on a cooler. It could be on uh, an alley door. Sure. You know, we could put something on there. Um, So that's the key thing, is just to know when your doors are opening and closing, especially when your business is is closed. Uh, There are some things out there, especially as people progress more to the IoT-type platform, that you can do or utilize or grab data from third-party equipment. Um, Again, especially if they have an open application or open source-type application, then it makes it nice to bring other data in to one dashboard. And with that, you can do anything, especially for theft is maybe you can do, um, some motion. Uh, it just sure. all depends. It's a case by case basis when sure. it comes to that, but there's just so much out there. And again, if, if some of these third party vendors have an open source, um, platform, then, There's a lot that can be done with companies uh, like some of the ones that we do that that really have organized their solution around the IoT or the Internet of Things.
0: Oh, great. So why don't we move on to question number two. Uh, What is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now?
1: Um, Well, there are multiple, and we've talked about some of them. Uh, Food Safety Modernization Act, or FSMA, uh, on the distribution side is is huge we a lot of people have to be trained a lot of people have to relook at their operation and and make a lot of changes from how they purchase stuff to how items are slotted in the warehouse to all the way down to how the warehouse worker receives put away and selects it Um, So that's going to be huge, uh, mainly on the training side at first, because a lot of these, you have to have a PCQI, whether it's a company employee or a consultant, be available within 24 hours to the FDA. So there's a lot of people that have to be trained. Um, That's probably the biggest project or initiative that we're working on now. But, of course, we're still trying to bring in vendors too, and I'm spending a lot of my time talking to various vendors to kind of package product or solutions so that we can offer the full service solution, whether it be a distributor, or like we've talked about at the beginning of this, where we're moving into the retail and restaurant side.
0: Okay, cool. So this is where we're gonna vary from our normal question base and and dive into a little bit more of the subject matter that you're um, super familiar with, which is FISMA. And I know we've touched on it in a couple of the answers, but. so FSMA is the Food Safety Modernization Act. Uh, let's just dive in. Let's just dive into FSMA and maybe give an overview of what FSMA is and why it's important to restaurants. And then we'll uh, we're going to move on to the food code after that.
1: Okay, Food Safety Modernization Act consists of seven rules. Rule one is what's called, well, in layman's terms, it's preventative control. Um, preventative controls for human foods. Uh, the full verbiage of the act, the, the final version of it, actually includes uh, GMPs uh, and SOPs of a company. So it's bringing in items that necessarily weren't in play on a regulatory side as much, didn't require a lot of documentation. But rule one is going to require a lot of documentation. It's the rule that vendors, manufacturers, distributors, etc., are going to have to uh, follow uh, which will change their operation just because of all the training, the documentation, the, the dedicated people, the certified training people with the PCQI. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I, I note to even my distributors is that when you would bring somebody in, especially somebody new, it's a matter of not just putting a sign up, let's say, in a bathroom that says all employees must wash their hands. Under the new rule, people that are manufacturers, processors, distributors are now going to have to have training that's gonna be documented. They have to document that the person did train and they're going to have to put in written procedures if something happens where someone gets caught not doing it on how they're gonna fix it, whether it be additional training. But now it's just formalizing everything that has to be done and making sure it's documented by your PCQI. The second rule, which is mainly it's not going to really affect restaurants, it's basically preventative controls for animal foods. And that is just ensuring that farms, et cetera, follow certain rules so that food intended for animals, which are intended to be food, Hmm. are treated correctly and not giving, you know, we're not tainting right off the bat before the animals um, killed and processed. Um, There's rules out there that go to foreign supplier verification so that if a distributor or manufacturer imports food, there's very strict guidelines that they're going to have to do now all the way down to the federal government is going to require brokers or importers to verify the people that they're buying from in other countries are also satisfying the rules under the FDA. So it really enhances what is going to happen with import foods. Again, for a restaurant, if you're buying from a distributor and you're a higher end and you you bring in a lot of um, imported products, whether it be from Italy, France, whatever, you're going to want to make sure, even though you're not held compliant under FSMA, that you understand what your distributor is responsible for and that you hold them to that. Uh, There's rules in there that go down, and I'm not going to jump into all of them, but uh, rules for restaurants that they're going to have to be concerned about uh, from a distributor point of view that they're, you know, companies are buying from is is what's called um, sanitary transportation, which puts into line a whole set of rules for how distributors, manufacturers, et cetera, transport product to your restaurant. So how they handle it, how they clean their trucks. Now we need digital documentation of, of to make sure that those trucks are being held at the proper temperature um, that now they really have not had to do. Uh, and that brings in play a lot of different things from uh, rail cars, how product is brought in. Um, it doesn't go down to, to product brought in on a container, but the minute it touches U.S. soil, whether it's a rail car, or a truck, or all the way to a distributor that delivers to your restaurant, there's very strict guidelines that have to be put in place. And then one of the other rules that will come into play is called the food, food defense, or what was known as the intentional adulterization rule. And that just basically states from the same manufacturer, processor, distributor line, mainly on the process and manufacturing, that we have processes, written, documented processes in play to ensure that our food chain is not intentionally adulterated, whether it be from a grumpy employee or a terrorist. So they're bringing into play a lot more than what has happened in the past. So those are the basics. There's a produce rule that is specifically for uh, mainly the farm level that they have to do, but it's to note that if you're buying a lot of produce and it's either coming directly from a farm, which some restaurants do buy directly from a farm, or from a distributor Mm -hmm. that is buying directly from the farm, that, again, we know that 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 distributor is ensuring that the farm – is handling the product in the way they should be handling it to ensure sure. again, that we're not tainting the food supply chain.
0: Well, and so you that's bring the up a
1: basis of FISMA.
0: And you bring up a really good point because there's so many restaurants on this farm to table movement. That's been so popular in the last couple of years that are, you know, you'll see it on their menu. This comes directly from this farm or this is this kind of cattle or whatever. And, if they aren't going through a distributor, which I think probably in probably most cases they are, but sometimes they're going direct, now you, you've you got, you know, that farm's obviously got a whole bit of liability to get compliant with FSMA, but ultimately, you know, I think, you know, the liability is gonna rest a lot of times at the restaurant level if you get somebody sick and then if you get caught using a farm that wasn't FSMA compliant or a distributor that wasn't FSMA compliant, then that's going to open you guys up to liability um, if you were, if everything horrible went wrong and someone's actually suing you at this point. So that's something to be really aware of.
1: Oh, very much so. And the key thing that the FDA is looking, whether you're, you fall under FISMA FSMA or you fall under the food retail act, it's called traceability. And what they want to do is if something happens, they want to be able to trace it along the food chain uh, in less than a week. Where in the past, it's always taken two to three weeks and the way they're doing this now is very strict guidelines, very strict rules and what's called a one forward, one back investigation. So they're going to go to people along that route and they're going to find out where the problem started and they're going to go one forward and one back. And then they're going to that next company and they're going to go one forward and one back until they find the problem. Now in that whole aspect, it's not going to matter whether you're fall under FISMA or the Food Retail Act and ask some of the um, specifically one chain that we won't, I won't mention that has been going through an issue like this. And, and it all started at a farm, but it came down to the the restaurant side and it FDA didn't care which act you fell under. They're going to come through and they're going to, they're going to utilize their enforcement capabilities. And that's one reason that I should mention why, in my opinion that it's all going to be one code one of these days, I would say in three to five years, we're not going to have FISMA and we're not going to have the Food Retail Act. They're just going to require everybody fall under one uniform, consistent regulation.
0: Well, yeah, and I would just tag onto that, that like, you know, one thing that happened with, well, we're we going to say it, it's Chipotle, as I'm assuming what you're talking about, but when yeah. the FDA, that's one, <laughs> that's one of them, yeah, when they sued in the federal court, one of the things that they did, and we wrote a blog about this, it was earlier this year, maybe it was actually almost a year ago, like January, February timeframe, is they requested the safety, like the safety documentation and checklists, not just from the restaurants that got people sick, which are really uh, the E. coli ones were up in the northwest, and I think that the Uh, What's it called? The norovirus ones were in Boston, but they requested the food safety documentation from across the chain. So if you're not doing those daily checklists and logs, uh, your, you know, your your temp logs and your line checks and that kind of stuff, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like if you, you know, you could have like the government was doing that because they wanted to see. That the company was actually doing a good job of doing those logs, but what they were really trying to do, because they wanted to win their case, is say, "Well, you rec- your procedures say that you should be doing six of these every day in every restaurant, and you know, blah blah blah. That's whatever that number is, seventy five thousand of these things a day. And you know, for the last year, you turned in a million, so you were grossly negligent, because that's what they're looking to do from that perspective is prove their case." that this is truly Chipotle's fault. They were grossly negligent in that respect. That's what I'm assuming. The other thing I would point out to restaurants too is that you need to read the writer in your insurance policy because if you are doing things that are against corporate policy, if you're doing things that you you know are wrong, but you're still doing them anyways, like if you have a policy in your restaurant where everybody kind of knows we all pencil whip our temp log because no one cares, that type of thing. Those things uh, not only would be bad for you in a court of law if you got into trouble, but they can negate your liability insurance. If like, because you think that your cook's going to get on the stand and lie for you and say, oh yeah, no, we did the temp log diligently every day. He's going to go, oh no, I pencil whipped the shit out of that nine times out of 10. And guess what? You know, that there goes your liability insurance. So if you do get somebody sick, and you're not following your own procedures and you're, you're violating the writer on your insurance. You won't get that financial remuneration from the insurance company to help you battle any kind of lawsuits against you or loss of business.
1: Well, and, and what restaurants need to be very, very careful about is there are law firms out there, specifically one out of Washington state that specialize yeah. in food safety litigation. and, the best example that I have that I've given uh, that I teach in one of my um, FISMA awareness seminars is the cantaloupe listeria scare that happened right here in Colorado. And it originated at at, at a farm out from the Eastern Plains. Um, I think the count was somewhere around 30 some people died of listeria on the cantaloupe. Um, Not only is the company, Gone. I mean, a company that is 100 was 105 years old is gone. The brothers that ran the company were convicted of of felonies, oh my God. and there's various things in that. But there's still lawsuits. And and one thing this law firm did is they didn't just go after the farm. They went after everybody. They went after retail, and settled with some very large chains. And those chains were like, well, what did you expect us to do? Well, from now on, one of the reasons they put some of this traceability and these supplier verification programs in place is because these chains are going to have to ensure that the people they're buying from specifically on the farms and with the produce rule that things are are happening as they're supposed to happen. So you could say all you want. It's not my responsibility. I don't have means. They should come to me. Uh, I do this. I do that. Yeah, you know, like you said, what are you going to do when you go sit on a stand in a courtroom? You're either going to show them that you handle the pro- the the product correctly, everything was done right, and hope that your liability is limited in a court of law, or you're going to have these law firms come after you and say, you have so many holes in your SOPs or your GMPs, and we're going to take you to town because I'm going where the money's at. Sure. And you look at companies, how many companies such as a Chipotle who, by the way, It's still 30 to 35% below where they were two years ago in revenue, and we're we're over a year past when this happened. How many companies, especially a smaller restaurant or a a restaurant mom and pop or a restaurant chain can stand up and survive a 35% loss in revenue for going on probably 18 to 19 months now? Where do you put your money? Do you spend it now and make sure you're as safe as you can be, or do you take the attitude that a lot of restaurants have that you know, I, I hardly see my inspector. Nothing's happened. Nothing's going to happen. It'll be so long before, you know. I get it. I'm too small. I hear that a lot, by the way. I'm too small. Um, you tell that. You, you think that way when you're sitting in a court of law, with a with a lawsuit on your on your neck. It's not going to be fun.
0: For sure. Um. So we're going to switch gears slightly to the food code 2017. So for those of you. And also, correct me if I say anything incorrectly here, Scott, because my knowledge of this is a very high level. But so the food code releases every four years. Uh, Basically, the food code is the FDA uh, sort of recommended procedures for managing retail, which would be restaurants and grocery, and I think those other things, retail restaurants, like the the proper safety procedures. And then from there, because the FDA doesn't, that, that information is then disseminated by the states and then eventually your county health inspectors. And 2017 is the year where the, it's a four-year cycle where they do major revisions to the food code and that actually is in 2017. Um, what can you tell us about the food code and uh, and what's coming out and what you've seen?
1: Well, I, I am by no means a, um, an expert in the food code, the the retail code. Um, Other than we know they're going with some of the SOPs that they they want more digital type record keeping, Um, you know, as new things come out and what, what restaurants need to be aware of is that with the new revisions coming out that the food retail act and the FISMA are all again, governed and enforced by the FDA. So we're starting to see more and more things carry over and it was so close what restaurants need to realize is that they were going to be part of FISMA and part of um, the implementation, it was determined that it's going to just be too, too difficult to bring restaurants and retail in at this point, which again, when I hear at this point, tells me that it's going to eventually happen. So what you're going to find out with FISMA is the government can't hire enough inspectors so what they're doing instead of hiring a bunch of inspectors and although they are hiring inspectors or what they're calling now FDA investigators they are offering grants to state and local health departments to train them on the federal regulation so now even though you may not be under FSMA and you're under the Food and Retail Act your inspector could be basically what I call deputized as a having jurisdiction under the federal guidelines of FISMA. So now, and I should mention to you also the Food Retail Act. So you're, you're in, your local inspector that would normally come in and do their health department stuff now w- will have the ability, once they're so-called deputized, to either report to the FDA or actually enforce certain regulations that the FDA would normally do. So you don't necessarily have to see your FDA inspector to get a summons or a fine under FDA code, whether it's the Retail Act or FSMA. So, again, why you're starting to see more and more push on the digital record keeping, um, digitizing tasks, standard operating procedures, various things like that, that restaurants have to do and have to follow under the Retail Act. Because these health inspectors, and I'm not saying all of them, but a good chunk of them are going to be deputized under the FDA guise. And you could be coming in for a Denver County health inspection. And next thing you know, you're getting a list of FDA issues that you have to correct or get fined. And if they're bad enough, then you are going to see your FDA inspector. And then you are going to be dealing directly with the federal government. it's coming down to the local level and it's the way the FDA is going to help enforce it. Whether you're a manufacturer, a distribute distributor, or a restaurant or a retail building. So with two 2017 coming out again, I'm not a specialist. I do have a guy again that does specialize on that side of it. And I know he is heavily pushing for digitizing exactly what we've been talking about, the handling of your food. Um, What restaurants need to realize, the minute they accept that product, they're held liable. So how you handle it from a temperature side, how you handle it from a sanitation side, um, both in your facility and your employees, the various type of things you do um, to clean, prepare, hold, um, various steps in between preparation, prep tables, line line items, you know, for a line cook, etc., It's all going to be written in, and it's going to start resembling more and more what FISMA stands for and what FISMA is trying to do. So I would definitely keep up on that, on the Retail Act, talk with your health inspector. The one thing you don't want to do with these guys, knowing that they're going to be given additional power and control, you want to partner with them. And that's kind of where the FDA is going on all of this. You don't want to sit back and hide, um, try to not provide something that you saw was wrong because it's eventually going to get out and then you're going to be dealing with a mad inspector because they're going to either think you're lying to them or you're trying to conceal something. So you want to partner with anyone that comes into your facility and ask questions. That's what they're there for. And they're they're more willing to answer questions uh, if, they see you're trying to put an effort forward as opposed to trying to cover your behind. So it's definitely something that all restaurants need to see and be aware of, not only FSMA, but also where the new um, Food Safety Retail Act is going to um, come about and and with some of the verbiage, et cetera. It's probably going to resemble more and more what FSMA is.
0: And, and that only makes sense, too, because it's a duplication of efforts. And if they can get one code, it's just more efficient for everybody. And, you know, everybody's learned one thing versus having to have some inspectors that are focused on one or the other. Um, I can tell you that our, we have clients from around the country and around the world. And, you know, what we're seeing is um, at Ops Analytica, which is our checklist and inspection and reporting app that restaurants use to do some of that digital record keeping, whether it be their line checks or their temp logs, that kind of stuff. What we're seeing is in different parts of the country, it's getting harder for the chains. Like, for instance, in New Jersey, like they walk in the door and the first thing that they want to see when they're doing a health inspection is show me your temp logs, show me your line checks. And they're going and they're actually inspecting to make sure that they get done. Now, that's not everywhere, but that's in northern New Jersey, that's the way it is now. And we're seeing that in some other cities around the country um, as well. And one of the things that people like about our platform and, and what the inspectors have told our clients that they like about the platform is that it's all time, date, stamped. And it's a very easy thing for the restaurant to show the inspector we have a process in place look this is every day we do this four times a day or five times a day here's what we're doing and it's once you can prove that you have a system in place and that you're executing on a system I think you you cover, you cover flip that coin to, okay, this guy's actually trying to do it right. Let me help him from this inspector's attitude versus when you have a clipboard with a soda stain on there and everything looks like it was written down by the same guy and he just went down the clipboard typing in fake temperatures. When you don't have proper documentation, when you can't prove that you have systems and controls in place, that's when the inspector is very suspicious and that really can shade how well your health inspection goes and i get that this only happens twice a year but there's also other benefits for just maintaining uh you know not just safe food but food that's properly temp properly cooked you're testing everything it all leads to better operations which leads to lower food comps higher sales higher profitability so there's a reason in in addition to just being aware of what the health inspector is going to do to you for having you know, controls in place and controlling what you can control and doing these line checks and temp logs. Because too, it's a food quality issue. But anyway.
1: Well, and you mentioned th- twice a year and what restaurants need to be aware of is that that may be set, but under FSMA and what could happen under the new retail act is An inspector can just show up and you've got 24 hours to perform all the information that they request. So it doesn't have to be a scheduled inspection. It doesn't necessarily have to be two times a year. You could have an inspector that gets a complaint or there could be a recall of product or someone gets sick. And I guarantee you're going to see an inspector of some sort more than twice a year, especially if they come into your facility and like you said, haven't got anything in motion. They're behind. They still have manual logs that, that have food stains on them. Those are the ones that they're going to go after. If they see that you've made an attempt, you're never going to be perfect, and you don't need to be. What you need to do is put the effort in, and then they'll come back and say, here's what you need to improve on. And then they'll expect to see that next time. Then you've got an inspector who's going to be more of a partner as, as opposed to an enforcer. So sure. very, very key when it comes to that.
0: Well, and I'll tell you one other interesting little tidbit uh, that, that a couple of cities have experimented with, Chicago and I believe New York, where they have been um, – what's the word I'm looking for? They have been analyzing Yelp reviews, and they were able to tie Yelp reviews to foodborne illness outbreaks. And so then they were able to go in and um, – you know, inspect off of those food-borne illness outbreaks. And that technology is still very, Like the the experiments that were done were still very manual. But Yelp has put together this sort of standardized food rating uh, system. Um, We have a blog on it on our website. I'll have to go figure it out. I'll have to go look at it again. I forgot the acronym for it. But they're trying to make it easier for the governments To basically crowdsource reviews of restaurants looking for potential food safety problems and then go and inspect off of that, which makes complete sense because, you know, I mean, just sending an inspector to every restaurant all the time when, you know, some of them are great and just crush it because those people are managing or own, the place are killing it, you know. It's better to focus your inspectors where they can do the most good. And it's really easy to look for the word vomit or diarrhea or something in a Yelp review and go, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe we've seen 20 of those. Maybe it's time to go over there and check it out, you know, and go have an extra inspection over there. And the other thing that you're seeing, too, with letter grades, and I know letter grades aren't standardized across the country yet, but in the areas where they do have letter grades, the restaurants hate it because you know you get a bad grade it actually affects your sales and also the biggest complaint there is that it's hard to get the reinspection to get the grade up but they did see less foodborne illness outbreaks in areas where they do have letter grades and the colorado restaurant association just defeated letter grades within the state um this state uh whereas they have it up i think in lupton county up north uh but uh, both Scott and I live in Colorado, so that's why there's been so many Colorado references today. But um, anyway, so, you know, letter grades are another thing that I think, you know, over time you're going to see more and more of across the country, and the letter grade being an A, B, or C in the front on your front door or in your front window um, because they do work for reducing uh, foodborne illness outbreaks in those restaurants. So I think those are other things that just as – restaurant compliance moves forward i could see the federal government saying hey we're mandating across the states that everybody gets on the same grading system so that as people travel they know where they're eating yes exactly i agree wholeheartedly on on that there's
1: these these people are government workers you can think what you want about them but they're not dumb and they're going to use whatever method they can um, and like you said, they're going to use Yelp, they're going to use Facebook, and all they want to see is somebody complain about a dirty bathroom. Yeah. And they realize, and they put two and two together of what's happening, and does that mean some of the other parts of the restaurant are dirty? Does that mean your employees are washing their hands in a dirty facility? So a lot of things to, uh, to keep in mind there that in the past were always one-offs or, well, that's not my jurisdiction, and now – going to be they're going to have the right to do to, to have cross jurisdiction whether you're talking somebody on the city or county level the state level or the federal level so a lot of these people again are going to be given grants and there's going to be city inspectors on a, on a little county or city inspector is going to have the ability to enforce federal guidelines
0: well, and i make one last point on the politics of it and then uh but you know there are certain things that are very controversial in politics right and then you know if you know think of all the divisive issues in the last campaign but there are some issues in politics like food safety for instance where both sides of the of the aisle come together because there's no loss for the politician no one's going to complain to the politician that you made our restaurants too safe you know oh no our food supply is too safe those blah, blah, blahs, you know, no one's ever going to say that. So things like this, you know, they're going to get a lot of support and they're going to go, and because no one's going to, no one's going to complain that you made the restaurant safer. So, I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we've actually covered our four questions. So now we're back to our fifth question here, which is just recount a funny or worse or funny story or worse thing that's happened in your career for the uh, listeners, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Yeah, and I I thought about this one for a while cuz I did see this question it was given to me ahead of time. Um and I'm in a very basic dry industry, so not a lot of funny things happen <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and other other than that, you know, some of the scary things or the bad things that that um uh, would happen would be seeing a client just get enforced to the point where they they might have to shutter their business whether it be for a day or for longer. And I did have a scary moment with a, a client that was recent that, and luckily I was um, I was on a project but I wasn't on site. Um, but they were able to call me right away and get some advice. But they have an on-site USDA inspector, which is which is typical for um, facilities that process um, meat products, fish, things like that, um, and they do a lot of 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 processing of beef and chicken and their inspector walked into the freezer and their facility, we completely reorganized, added all different types of new racking. We reorganized the layout and we were in the middle of the process. And he just decided to walk in the freezer one day and walked out and went up to the warehouse manager and said, you got two hours or I'm shutting the whole warehouse down. And he just saw some things he didn't like in there. And and by no means that they were, they, compliant with a lot of things because, again, we're in the process of the changeover. Um, but that's scary for a customer. And that's scary for me to have a client call me sitting there going, we have to do this. What do you recommend? Because we have two hours or we're going to get shut down. So uh, that part of it is very scary. I wish I had more funny, <laughs> funny stories in this business. But unfortunately, with what I do as um, a so-called agent of change, uh, being a consultant and a warehouse design person, and now a food safety person, you don't come across a lot of situations that are funny. Uh, <laughs> most of my stuff are dealing with nobody likes change. Nobody likes new, you know, gov- more government interference, et cetera. So it, it comes to the point where I'm dealing with a lot of bad news that I have to try to make better. Or of course, as change go, I've got to convince a lot of people to do things that would normally not even think about doing and and as you probably know nobody very few people i'll say like change so it's something that doesn't create a lot of funny stories unfortunately
0: (laughs) well no problems well scott i want to thank you so much for being on the show today i think you really uh gave a lot of our listeners some real good insight into what's coming down the pike from a fisma perspective and from the food code and understanding that their liability is you know when it hits your when it hits your loading dock, it's now your liability. So just like if somebody comes into your bar drunk and you serve them one more beer, they're now your problem, not the other guy's problem. It's sort of the same. Um, it's the same boat. And we want to thank you for being on. Uh, at this point of the show, I just want to say if you want to plug anything, like your website or whatever, I will put your website in the show notes. But please plug away um, and let the let yeah, the thank listeners you. know.
1: Yeah. And again, thanks for having me on. It's it's always nice to get the message out because that's one of the, the big things that I, uh, I find is a problem is this law has been around a while, even though the rules, uh, again, some of them aren't, aren't aren't being held to compliance yet for some smaller companies. But um, there's a lot of people that have known about it that have not done anything. And there's a lot of people that scarily, talking about a scary story, that haven't heard about this yet. Hmm. and those are the ones that are there. So by all means, if you're out there and you need some help, we're we're definitely available. Even if you don't necessarily buy something on the temperature side or whatever, just keep, just know that we do have good people that specialize in food safety at all levels of the cold chain that are available um, to provide services. Uh, if you want to make sure your company is where it needs to be. And it could be something just like that. We, we do mock audits. We go in and just look at people's SOPs and, and, Give recommendations all the way to a full-fledged, you know, operational change or food safety change. So, go to our website. It's www.waresys and that's a W-A-R-E, S and Sam, Y, S and Sam dot net. It has my contact information on there, uh, and you'll you'll see just the different services we offer um, from the temperature monitoring to the food safety classes. We have a couple other things that deal with air and uh, or so-called environmental um, conditioning solutions um, would have been good in the Chipotle situation with the norovirus. Um, but again, just take a look at us. Uh, if you'd like to call me directly and you'd rather talk, uh, you can reach me at 303-349-1993. And again, uh, just appreciate the opportunity. And it's uh, fun talking about this and getting this out to a group of people that um, in some instances, know a little bit about it, but want to know more, or in some other instances, just don't know about this and where it's going. Cool. So again,
0: thank you very much for having me. Right, you're welcome, Scott. And thank you guys for listening to the Order Up show. We have a lot of great interviews coming up. We're just kind of doing a bunch of them right now as people slow down for the holiday break. So expect a lot more podcast episodes coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this is Tommy Anulis. Thanks for listening.